Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This podcast is brought to you by the University of Dallas's Classical Education Graduate Program. With a dedicated faculty and staff drawing on extensive experience in the classical tradition, The Classical Education Graduate Program benefits from the strength of the university's nationally recognized core curriculum, which embodies the UD's dedication to the pursuit of wisdom, truth, and virtue as the proper and primary ends of education. The Classical Education Graduate Program combines the ethos of this core curriculum with a concentration on the theory and practice of classical education, bringing these to the working and aspiring classical teachers, school administrators, and home educators around the country. Earn a classical teaching certificate, a Master of Humanities degree, or a Master of Arts degree in classical education. With an extensive array of online courses, the program is designed to meet the schedules of busy classroom and homeschool teachers. In addition, for a limited time, the classical education program at the University of Dallas has scholarships available that can reduce the cost of the program by up to 90%. That's 90, 90%. Don't miss out on this opportunity today. Visit udallas.edu slash classical ed to start your application. Again, that is udallas.edu slash classical ed. You are listening to the Circe Podcast Network. I am Joshua Gibbs, and this is Proverbial, the podcast where we explore the wisdom of the ages as it comes to us in Proverbs, by which I mean wise sayings a man may live by if he's not so arrogant as to think himself special. Every week, we're going to look at a quote a proverb, a maxim, a pithy saying, a truism that comes to us from deep in history. And we're going to unpack it, explore it, try to figure out how it applies to common people. And this is a show for common people. This is a show for people 
who are content to be common, who are content to be average, and at the same time are striving for moral excellence and piety. The first quote that we're going to look at in the show is a quote from the Roman poet Horace. And I want to start with this quote because it's the quote that made me want to do this show. The idea for the show came from this quote. And I'll read the quote, and then I want to give a little history on it, my own personal history with this quote. Quotes from the Roman poet Horace, and here it is. You may drive out nature with a pitchfork, but she keeps coming back. I'll read the quote again. This one's short. You probably haven't forgotten it yet, but I'll read it once more nonetheless. You may drive out nature with a pitchfork, but she keeps coming back. I would say that this quote has been the quote I have lived by for the last two years. I think the first time I recognized that I was living by a quotation. I think the first time I realized that I had a personal motto or a personal slogan was all the way back in freshman year of high school. And the quote that I lived by back then, I don't know where it comes from, but it's a standard quotation. It's commonly traded. And the quote that I lived by back in freshman year was, you're only as good as your last show. Which I kind of regarded as a, a heartbreaking quotation. And it seemed to mean to me back in high school that no one liked you more, your friends didn't care for you more than they cared for you the last time they saw you. This was kind of a vexing quote to live by, though I believed it true. My freshman year of high school, I had perfect attendance. It's one of the only academic awards I received in high school, was perfect attendance at the end of the year. I didn't miss a day. And I made a real concerted effort to not miss a day back in high school because I was terrified that I would be forgotten. I was afraid that I would miss out. And that if I missed out on any day, I might miss out on something important. And that without this hypothetically important event, my friendships would all fall apart. Seems childish, seems rather ridiculous in retrospect, but that was the first time I, I found myself living by a quote. I don't remember where I heard it. I don't know what quote I lived by in early college, but the next time I found myself living by a quote was my late 20s. It was right after I began teaching in a classical Christian school. And the second quote that I live by is one that uh, I discuss at length in my book, How to Be Unlucky. The second quote that I live by is, one drink is just right, two is too many, three is too few. Which I take to be about the importance of moderation. Um, but also, ultimately, I believe the quote is about the value of the world, the value of every individual thing in the world. And 
all those things that are truly good are only needed in moderation because the thing is good in and of itself, as opposed to the effect of the thing. Um, one drink is just right, two is too many, three is too few, is about not having an exploited relationship with the world. And it's also about not exploiting yourself, not exploiting your senses. But I would say two years ago, this quote from Horace became the quote that I constantly used to analyze and interpret my own interactions with the world. You may drive out nature with a pitchfork, but she keeps coming back. And having mulled this quote over for a very long time, there's a, a few qualities to it or a few rather subtle nuances that I think are quite important. One of which concerns the nature of nature, which is that you may drive out nature with a pitchfork. It's a fascinating premise. It's an intriguing premise. You may drive out nature with a pitchfork, which is to suggest that nature is not such a monolithic thing, not such a batholithic thing, that it can't be manipulated. Nature is a little plastic. It's a little malleable. It's a bit like a Nerf football in that way, which is to say you can twist nature. You can move it out of its intended shape. Now, without constant pressure, a Nerf football is going to return back to its original shape whenever you let go. And so Horace, as awkward as the metaphor might seem, Horace kind of suggests that nature is a bit like a Nerf football, which is that you can twist it, you can turn it, but it will always return to its original shape. It might take a while. Eventually, you'll get bored holding nature in this awkward position, or you'll simply have other things that you have to do, and thus you have to set nature down, and when you set nature down, it returns back to its original shape. But nature is not like the black monolith that appears at the beginning of 2001. It's not this thing that suddenly appears in your midst, unassailable, unattackable, ultimately defensible. Nature is subject to our whims. But the opening part of the proverb has this other rather interesting aspect to it, which is that you may drive out nature with a pitchfork, Horace says. Not, you may drive out nature, but she keeps coming back. Not, you may ask nature to leave, but she keeps coming back. But you may drive out nature with a pitchfork. Which seems to suggest that in order to live outside of nature, some kind of violence is necessary. That if you're not going to live a natural life, some kind of violence must be done. You can't persuade nature to leave, in other words. You can fight nature. You can assail nature. You can hate nature with a violent passion. But you're not going to persuade nature. You're not going to argue the winter away. You're not going to argue the summer away. You're not going to argue human nature away, manly nature. 
feminine nature. You're not going to argue these things out. If you want to get rid of them, some kind of aggressive violence will be required. Then there's the second part, but she keeps coming back. So you drive out nature, but she comes back. She keeps coming back. And that is also a significant part of the quote. The quote is not, you may drive out nature with a pitchfork, but she comes back, but she keeps coming back, which suggests what? I think it suggests that we drive out nature, she comes back, and then we try to drive her out again. Horace knows that if you're foolish enough to assail nature once, you will not learn your lesson. You will attack her again and again and again. And you'll probably believe on the second or third attack of nature that this time you're finally going to be done with her. And that strikes me as a common story in the modern era, a common story of the Enlightenment, is the belief that nature has been bested, and that belief is ultimately overturned. And so we go on the attack again, we go on the offensive again, and we try to drive nature out once more. She wins. We regroup. We try to invent a better solution, a more effective solution for the problem of nature. Uh, and it just keeps failing over and over. Now, the, the key concept in this quote, of course, is the concept of nature. That's the meat of the quote. The essence of the quote is about the nature of nature. Nature is a hard thing to define. And I've realized this over the course of many years of teaching modern history, modern literature. A lot of modern literature is about man's relationship with nature, man's antagonistic relationship with nature, the attempt to overcome, overwhelm, tame, defang nature. Um, but nature is a hard word to pin down, really. Um, nature means different things to different people. And I think that nature can have a couple different, I want to say, nature can refer to several different things. On the one hand, it could be mother nature, right? By which I mean creation, the life-sustaining powers of creation, uh, as God has imbued creation with substantial life-giving energy. Mother nature, the mountains, the trees, rocks, oceans, etc. But that's not the only thing that we mean by nature. Nature also refers to the invisible form of a thing, the spirit of a thing, a thing's nature as opposed to its body, its outward manifestation. And when we refer to nature as a concept that way, as opposed to nature as that thing which you encounter when you walk out the front door of your house, when we refer to nature as the soul of a thing, we're often thinking of human nature. And so perhaps Horace, when he says this, is referring to, you know, you try to cut down a tree, but it grows back. Um, you build up a dam, but eventually all dams fall apart. And I suppose that might be what he means when he says you may drive out nature with a pitchfork. If you live in a very hot part of the world, you can spray for insects, spray for pests, but you're going to have to keep spraying because the bugs are going to keep coming back. 
as somebody who used to live in Florida, I can attest to this. You got to get the bug man to come out every so often because nature will keep coming back. But I think that the, the meaning of the quote has more to do with nature as an abstract concept. I think the import of the quote is really human nature, that you may drive out human nature with a pitchfork, but she keeps coming back. So what is human nature? Who gets to say what human nature is? That's the great modern question whenever human nature is mentioned. Who gets to say what human nature is? And this is hard to define. This is a little harder to pin down than mother nature as a concept. Trees, rocks, mountains. What is human nature? I would like to offer a working definition of this term. And this is something I've said before, but I want to get this out in the air on the first podcast because I think that proverbs in general are about human nature. There's a sense in which I open the show with this quote from, from Horace because I think it's a proverb about proverbs. I think proverbs are about human nature. Proverbs address human nature. When we refer to human nature, I think the simplest and best definition to work from is nature is what usually happens. Anytime you encounter what usually happens, you've encountered nature. What usually happens when someone eats too much? The answer to that question reveals something about human nature. What usually happens when you place your hand on a hot stove? This reveals something about fleshly human nature. What usually happens when someone cheats on their spouse? What usually happens when someone drinks too much every night? All of these questions have predictable answers not universal natures, or not universal answers. What usually happens when someone drinks too much is a question that allows for variants, outliers, unusual cases. So what happens for most people when they drink too much every night? What happens for most people when they cheat on their spouses? What happens to most people who, after 20 years of faithful church attendance, quit going? Now, if you pay attention to the world, you know the answers to these questions. You know something about human nature when you know what happens to people who suddenly quit going to church. When we're talking about human nature, we're not talking about something that's 100% always the case. Because, as Horace says, you can drive out nature with a pitchfork. Nature is a little malleable. It's a little changeable. It doesn't have perfect geometrical smooth surfaces. But nature is what usually happens. It's what commonly happens. So the proverb alleges that you can fight proverbial knowledge. You can fight what usually happens. But what usually happens usually happens. There's a reason why they call what usually happens what usually happens. And so the proverb is an art form which is suitable to a man who believes in nature. The proverb is an art form. It's a literary form which is suitable to people who believe that there is a way things work. The proverb is suited to people who believe 
that kings tend to behave a certain way, that eighth grade boys tend to behave a certain way, that middle-aged white guys like me tend to behave a certain way. They tend to start podcasts. Squirrels tend to work a certain way. Trees tend to work a certain way. Mountains and rivers and oceans, all these things tend to work a certain way, but human beings do. Now, if you want to learn from a proverb, if you want a proverb to be valuable for you, if you want a proverb to apply to you, you have to be the kind of person who thinks of himself as usual, common, typical. You have to be the kind of person who, like Horace, believes that you could drive out human nature. You could drive out what usually happens. You could pretend to suspend the normal rules, but that the normal rules would come back. You have to think yourself the kind of person that Proverbs are written for in order to gain anything from Proverbs. Otherwise, they're just for other people. So if you don't think yourself special, this is the podcast for you. If you're willing to hear a proverb and not seek out immediately the strange cases in which the proverb is challenged or not true, then this is the show for you. If you believe in nature, if you are grateful for nature, if you are grateful that there is a way things usually work, this is the podcast. Because every week we're going to look at the way that things usually work. Now, a proverb is not always straightforward. A proverb is not always clear at first glance. A lot of proverbs require contemplation, turning the proverb over in your mind for a while before you see how it fits with you. The modern mind is so opposed to nature that the average man upon hearing a proverb is first inclined to seek out all the ways in which it's not true. Like good postmodern people, we often seek out the inequalities of power between ourselves and the person speaking the proverb, and we exaggerate the importance and the meaning of these inequalities of power. We seek out the ways in which we are exempted from what normally happens. We're offended at the idea of being normal. We're offended at the idea of being common average. We hate common things. We hate common things because we don't like all the rules that must be followed in order for a thing to be holy. And so I'd like to suggest that above us, there's the realm of the holy. We live in the world of common things. Edmund Burke once said, common sense is the god of this lower world. Common sense governs everything here on earth. But then I think special is a category that is below the earth. I think special is a hellish category. Special is a category for people who don't like holy things, who don't like common things. Special is for people who resist what is common, but refuse to obey the rules of holiness or the rules of the sacred. Thus, special is this kind of odd vampiric quality that operates outside the realm of what is normal and outside the realm of what is sacred. Special is not traditional. There's no tradition of special. Special resists tradition. 
Special resists refinement. There's no form of special. Special is at odds with what is common. And there's a lot of special people in our world today who hear a proverb and immediately seek out the ways in which it is inaccurate, doesn't apply. Uh, the modern man also is good at finding outliers, at finding exceptions. But the modern man often overplays the value of an exception. So for all the proverbs that we look at on this show, it's not my contention that there's no such thing as an exception to a proverb, to Horace's proverb. You may drive out nature with a pitchfork, but she keeps coming back. I could believe that some odd circumstance within the last 500 years of history, 2,000 years of history, um, might seem to disprove the quote or challenge the universality of the quote. I can imagine someone dredging up some example of nature changing. Uh, perhaps some scientist who's able to eradicate a disease forevermore. Um, it's not my contention that a proverb is always true. Proverbs are not always true. They're usually true. A proverb is a bit of common wisdom. It's subject to all the ephemerality and changeable qualities of the earth, which is not fixed, right? Um, the earth does a decent impression of the heavens, as Augustine says somewhere, that the earth is always doing an impersonation of the heavens, or that time on earth mimics time in heaven. God exists in an eternal present, and thus all things on earth happen in the present. And that's the earth's attempt to imitate heaven. But the earth is ultimately fickle. It's changeable. And outliers will exist. So for all the Proverbs that we examine in the show, I'm more than willing to admit up front that they are not true like scientific laws. They are not true 100% of the time. And that there are weird hypothetical situations we could dream up wherein a proverb would be significantly challenged. But a few counterexamples do not debunk a proverb. A knowledge of how things usually work is absolute in its own way. It's a asterisked universality, I suppose you could say. And I think it's better for the common person to know how things usually work than to know things don't always work that way. As I sometimes tell my students who are young men, it's more important you know that most women like flowers than to know that some women don't. And I would say the same thing uh, or something like the same thing to young female students. It's more important to know that men like to grill or most men like to grill than to know that some men don't. Some men don't like to grill. Some women don't like flowers. And yet Mother's and Father's Day presents are easy to buy most of the time. If you're willing to acknowledge the common nature or the, the masculine nature of a man, the feminine nature of a woman, which pertains to what usually happens. So that's the show. The show is concerned with how things work, how things normally work, what commonly happens, what usually happens. And if you're willing to admit yourself 
a common person, this show will be of great value to you. We're going to look at quotes from Christ, Solomon, but from ancient Greek thinkers as well. Kierkegaard, Nietzsche, any great writer of aphorisms, anyone who's good at distilling nature down to its essence. We will be looking at passages from Scripture and treating them as, we'll look at proverbial claims made in Scripture and treat them as claims which are best understood as Proverbs, which is to say usually true. Some comment will be given about the nature of Proverbs in Scripture, whether they're different than other kinds of Proverbs. But that's the show. Thank you for joining me. See you next time. deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Paige Desorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.